Amen. God bless you. Thank you for the opportunity to be with you. My name is Russell Rogers. I'm the senior pastor of Trinity Life Baptist Church in Garland, Texas, and it's an honor and a joy to get to be with you today. We have the privilege of traveling around the country about three months a year. Uh, It's not that uh, I like being out of my pulpit that much. I kind of think the church likes me being out of the pulpit that much, but we have the joy of traveling around the country and sharing what God has done in our life and encouraging others to consider being that very vehicle, that avenue of blessing. And so it's a joy to get to be here at Grace today. And uh, I want to I thank you and commend you under the leadership of your pastoral staff, Brother Jerry, for really emphasizing Orphan Sunday. Because if you have a copy of the Word of God, you know that in James 1.27... The Word of God says, well, we may get the screen up in a minute. If not, turn in your Bible to James 1.27. I'll give you a second to get there. Most of the scriptures I'll refer to will be on the screen today, if and when we get the screen back up and running. James 1.27. Would you stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? James 1.27 says this, pure... An undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and keep oneself unspotted from the world. Notice this, true and undefiled religion is this, to take care of children who have no protectors. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word And now today, I pray that you would impart and impact the truth of God's word into our heart. That we not be hearers of God's word only, but God, that we could be doers of your word in Jesus' name. Not for our sake and not just for your glory, but for the untold number of thousands of children that are going to cry themselves to sleep tonight with one question on their heart, does anybody really care about me? That's why we make the decisions that we are going to make today. So honor our commitments, speak to our heart in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The word orphans in James 1.27 in the Greek literally means the desolate and without protectors. That means that it applies to the abandoned, abused, broken, bleeding, defiled, neglected, alienated, both spiritually. Hey, welcome back. There it is, neglected and supported, both physically as well as emotionally. I want to show you another scripture. Romans 8.15 says this. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. In other words, why should Christians care about people that you've never met, that may be alienated, isolated, abused, abandoned? Here's why. Because the Bible says that when we had no hope, that Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price so that we could be adopted into the family of God. Friend, you're here today as a Christian if you've accepted Jesus Christ because first of all, he adopted you. 
He sought you when you had no hope, when you could not help yourself, and he adopted you and made you part of his family. And then he says, if we're going to be Christians to a lost and dying world, if we're going to be Christ to them, we have to be doing what Christ did for us. This is why we, as the body of Christ, not only need to care, but quite honestly, must care. Because to be honest about it, the best homes for a child who needs love and care is a home that radiates and elevates and exalts Jesus Christ. Give you another scripture. In Matthew 28, Jesus came and said unto the disciples, All power, both in heaven and on earth, is given unto me. Go ye therefore, and, and then he continued on, teach and baptize as I've commanded you. Now, I was in seminary many years ago. Dr. Malcolm McDowell at Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, spent an entire class talking on this very scripture. But he moved away from the podium and tears began to flow down his face as he said words that I'll never forget. Brother Jerry, there's a lot I learned in seminary that I do not remember, but I'll never forget this. Now listen, church. The word all power is from the Greek, the word that we get the word dynamite. It's the word dunamis. And it doesn't just mean power, like explosive power, like dynamite. It also means total authority. Total, explosive, dynamic authority. Dr. McDowell said these words. He said, notice that right after Jesus told the disciples he was all authority, his very next words were, go you, therefore. And then he said these words. He said, church, if all ultimate, explosive, a powerful authority tells you to go and do, on whose authority do you sit and stay? Now, y'all should have gone, wow. So I'm going to say it again for those of you that are sitting in the back. If all authority tells us as Christians that we should be doing what the Word of God says we need to do to be Christ to a lost and dying world, if, if we are instructed by total ultimate authority that we're to be caring for the orphans, on whose authority do you sit by and say, that's someone else's problem? I'll let someone else handle that. If all authority says go, on whose authority do you stay? And so now... If we can all agree that that's the word of God and that's the command of God, if you believe that, raise your hand. All right, very good. Look at all these new foster parents we just found. It's awesome. So here's what you need to know about your new job. You need to know that today there's roughly 11,309 children in North Carolina currently in the foster care system. And that makes you the 16th largest foster population in the United States of America. You also need to know this. You need to know that in addition to that 11,300 children currently in the system, every year DSS brings in about 6,500 new cases of child abuse, abandonment, and neglect that are so severe and so heinous the children have to be removed 
for their own protection and their own safety. That means that you have about 17,800 children every year in North Carolina that desperately needs to know that you, Grace Community Church, cares. And by the way, a great majority of them are in the western half of the state. 50 to 60% of those kids need protective custody. And the truth is, we do not have enough Christian foster homes in the United States to care for the children that will cry themselves to sleep at night wondering if anybody cares. But I'm going to tell you before I finish today exactly how we and you can solve the problem before you leave this building. All right, look at this. 333. A couple of years ago, because that, that, that is actually a couple of years ago's number. 333 children aged out of the system. Now, let me tell you what aging out means. It means that they were in the foster care system and they had been so abused and so neglected in their own home that they could not be reunited and reunified with their family of origin. They, that means they had no mom, dad, aunt, uncle, niece, nephew, grandma, grandpa that was capable of bringing them in. So therefore, they had their rights, their parents had their rights terminated by the court. And this child, now imagine this, a child under the age of 18 that now legally has absolutely no family on the planet. No one. And are available for adoption. You can adopt these children. In many cases, totally free of charge. Right here in your own backyard. And yet, these are children that reach the age of 18. And no one ever wanted them. So on their 18th birthday, they were liberated from the system. We put the word liberated on it. Because that's the best way to dress up. The fact that these are kids that step out on the first day of their 18th birthday with no support, no family, no income, no home, no job, and no one to care for them. Imagine how this church would explode if every person in here said, that's the ones I want. That's the ones that I want to let know that Grace Community is here for them. And we'll make them family because church, if we don't make them family as part of the family of God, and I'm not saying you have to adopt them. I'm saying reach out to them and bring them into this great church and make them family here at Grace. Because if we don't, let me tell you who does. The pimps, the perverts, the drug pushers, and the prostitutes. They'll grab them. They'll make them family. God, help us to realize this is what Christ was talking about when he said, I have all authority. Now you go get these people teach them about me. Give you another interesting thought. Children in the foster care system receive Medicaid for doctors, dentists, and counseling visits. They get educated in your local neighborhood schools, and the families caring for them get reimbursed from the state. What they're looking for is your heart, your home, your support, your love. They are not looking for you to be rich and wealthy and have to pay the expenses of the child. They will help in those areas. There's not a person in this room, hardly, that won't qualify to be a foster parent or a foster to adopt parent. As a matter of fact, if you are single, married, or divorced, you qualify. Is there anybody in here that's not single, married, or divorced? 
I have yet to meet somebody that doesn't meet that qualification. Now, if you are married, you have to have been married for at least a year. They want you to be stable before they bring a child into your home that needs stability. Also, you cannot have suffered any situational losses in the past year. That would be the death of an immediate family member or a spouse or a parent for whom you were the primary caretaker. Again, we're looking for stability for children that need stability in their life. You have to have adequate space and beds. That's defined in North Carolina as 40 square feet per child. So think about this. If you've got a walk-in closet, you've got room to be a blessing to a child. They have to have their own bed because many of these children are in foster care because someone interrupted the sanctity of their sleep during the middle of the night. And we want them to know that when they pillow their head in our home, no one's going to disturb them or hurt them. And they'll sleep through the night peaceably. Amen? Also, you have to have a positive home study. Now, in Texas, a positive home study is hot and cold running water and your medication's locked up. I learned that in Western North Carolina, I also have to add this. That includes indoor plumbing. Okay, now, no use of physical discipline. Again, these kids, some of them, have had the holy horror beaten out of them. And we want them to know that, yes, we will practice discipline to instruct them in self-discipline that will help them the rest of their life. But they don't have to fear being hit with a two-by-four across the back. We're not going to slap their face with belt buckles. We're going to teach godly discipline. Amen? All right, so the question is, what in the world is a preacher from Dallas, Texas doing in Marion, North Carolina this morning? Well, besides enjoying the worship and the fellowship here at Grace, I'm also here to tell you a little bit about our story and how God brought us to the point of being a national voice in the field of Christian foster care and Christian adoption. When my wife and I first got married, we, we had a, a long, wonderful dating life. And one of the scriptures that we talked about was the scripture found in Psalm 37, 3. Verse 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, the desires do not mean your wants. What it means is when you give your life to Christ and the Holy Spirit of God comes to live within you, he imparts unto you his spirit. And that means that his heart becomes your heart. Paul said old things are passed away. All things become new. And so his desires become my desires. What he loves becomes what I love. And what is important to him becomes important to me. And then as I act upon those desires that are from him, then he can meet those desires, grant those desires, and my joy can be complete. Well, our desire was we wanted to have a family. We wanted to have a big family. We even talked about having a boys' ranch one day where we could have boys that needed to know somebody loved them and cared about them and, and trained them up to be men of God could come and live in our home. But we thought we'd do all that after we had our own children. So five years into marriage, we began the process of trying to have our own children. Six years, seven years, eight years into marriage. Still not successful, attaining a pregnancy. Went to the doctor. We were poked and prodded and tested. Come to find out the doctors told us, I'm sorry, Mr. and Ms. Rogers, you're not going to be able to have children of your own. There's too many blockades, too many problems biologically for you to conceive and carry a pregnancy. 
and it broke our heart. My wife cried all the way home from the doctor that day, and I couldn't, I couldn't help her. But I did remind her that God had given us a desire. Now, church, God's desires, like his callings, are without repentance. In other words, God doesn't make a mistake. And when God gives you a desire in your heart, it's because he wants to fulfill it, to honor and glorify him, and to make your joy complete. So I told my wife, I said, honey, I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know uh, how God's going to work this out, but we're going to have children And I said, we're going to go to a national adoption agency. I won't name it because you will have heard of it. But that's all we knew to do. We went to this adoption agency and there was this precious little oriental lady. She stood about three foot five. And she sat down across the table from us and we sat down and we talked to her. And she said, oh, you're a beautiful white couple. I said, well, thank you very much. And she said, we want to work with you. And I said, great, we want to be worked with. She said, you bring a $13,000 cashier check next week. We start the process. I looked at my wife and I said, what did she say? And my wife said, she thinks we got money. And I looked at her and I said, ma'am, with all due respect, I don't have $13,000. I don't have $1,300. Shoot, Brother Jerry, if it weren't for debit cards, I'd be broke. I didn't have $13 in my wallet. Can I get a witness? Does anybody here carry debit cards instead of cash? Yeah, that's what I thought. We left that adoption agency, and my wife had cried all the way home from the doctor the week before. Cried for four days, because as far as we knew, Brother Jerry, our hopes were dashed. Everything we knew to do, we had, we had sought, but yet that desire God gave us had not gone away. Three months later, our family visited our church, And they had three kids. And you know how it is when a family visits your church. You want to know all there is to know about them. You want to know what they like, what they don't like. If they are looking for a church home. And if they're a tither. Those are the things that are important to you to know. So I said, I'm going to take you to lunch. We're going to have a great time uh, to dinner as a matter of fact. And we went over to their house. When we got there, they had three children playing down the hallway. But they were sitting there holding a fourth child. He looked just like this. And I began to apologize because every time I'd talked to her, I had said, you and your three kids, you and your three kids, and she had four. Now, I don't know if you know this, but there's two things that will get you in trouble in the ministry. One, if you look at a heavyset lady and ask her when the babies do, okay, don't do that. It's bad, bad. I, I learned the hard way. The second thing is you don't ignore a mother's child. And I had done that for about two weeks. So I began to grovel. I said, Miss Pat, I'm sorry. I didn't know you had four children. I thought you only had three. I apologize for never recognizing that fact. And she stopped me. She said, Preacher, don't worry about it. She said, "Um, Until about an hour and a half ago, we only had three kids. Once again, I was forced to turn and look at my wife in disbelief. And I said, Shelly, I know we've not been able to do this. But doesn't it take more than an hour and a half? And she said to me, she said, preacher, my husband and I could not have children. She said, we, we have three kids by adoption. We couldn't even afford to adopt. She said, we became foster parents with the state of Texas. And she said, we adopted three of our foster children. And an hour and a half ago, 
This little baby was found abandoned on the stage of a topless nightclub in downtown Dallas, Texas. They called us and said, would you all take care of this baby? My wife began to cry and she said, could I hold him? By the way, warning, warning, real Robbins, warning. Just want you to know, if your wife says, uh, with tears running down her face, can I hold him? She's going to be holding him a long, 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 long time. Because this Christian family that we were just beginning to meet told us another Christian family what we needed to do to fulfill God's commission to be salt and light to a lost and dying world at whatever it takes and to meet the desire God had given us years earlier to be able to care for children. So seven or eight months later, with the help of this family introducing us to the right people, we became a foster family. And that little baby, by the way, they had joined our church, so we saw him every Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, went to dinner on Friday nights and fellowshiped on Tuesday nights, and we had fallen in love with him. He had fallen in love with us, and on the very first weekend we had our license and we were official, they moved that little boy into our home. He became our first foster child, and six months later we adopted him. He became our first son. Today, he's 17, excuse me, he's 18 uh, on November the 4th. He will be 18. I'm here. Thank you. Good planning, church. He'll be 18 years old here in, what's tomorrow's the 18th, right? Or the the 4th. The 4th. Good. Tomorrow's the 4th. He'll be 18 years old. I'm safe here because he's going to be driving and I'm not on the sidewalk in Texas. So, he's 18. He's a joy. And that began the road to us becoming foster adoptive parents. About the fourth child they brought us, as a matter of fact, I'm going to show you his picture in a minute, but before I do, let me tell you that the first time I laid eyes on him, I thought to myself, I've seen this kid somewhere. I know this kid from somewhere, and I couldn't figure out where I knew him from. You'll understand as soon as you see his baby picture. But one day I took my staff to lunch, and when I took my staff to lunch, it hit me where I had seen that baby before. Look. That's Casey. Now, Casey was born addicted to methamphetamines. Casey spent the first two years of his life going through detox, um, excuse me, going through um, breathing treatments and and, um, physical therapy, occupational therapy. And the doctors told us, don't ever expect much out of Casey. But God spoke to my wife's heart and said, you know what, that's child number two. And on his very first birthday, we were in court adopting him. And he today looks something like this. He's 15 years of age, Casey Scott Rogers. The doctors told us we don't know how much damage the meth exposure prenatally has affected his brain. There's not a lot of medical studies about that. So don't expect much out of Casey. Well, I want you to know that when God said, I'm able to do abundantly and exceedingly above all you could think or ask, he meant it. And so I want to tell you real quickly about a little boy that the doctor said don't expect much out of. At eight years of age, Casey was sitting in the car seat behind me. I pulled into a Burger King parking lot. And a homeless man knocked on my window. Being a man of God, I know how to deal with that, Brother Jerry. I looked at him and I said, go away, get out of here. (laughs) And Casey tapped me on the shoulder and Casey said, Dad, there's a dirty man that wants your attention outside. I said, I know, Casey, but I know what he wants. He said, what's he want, Dad? I said, he's going to want some money. Casey said, Dad, the church gives you money. Why don't you give him some? I said, Casey, we can't give our money to just anybody on the street. He said, why not, Dad? I said, because... You don't know what they might use it on. They might use it on drugs or alcohol or, or uh, women or, or pornography. 
And Casey pointed his finger to the Burger King sign. He said, Dad, we're in the parking lot of Burger King. What if he's just hungry? It's a hard thing to have the Holy Spirit of God talk to you through your eight-year-old son. So I turned around the seat and I said, Casey, sit back and shut up. When I get back, Mom will tell you why we don't give our money to just anybody on the street. When I got back, my wife looked at me and she said, Honey, you're dead meat. I said, Why? She said, Three more homeless people have knocked on Casey's window. Casey sat quietly in the car and I began to drive off. And then Casey spoke up in his wonderful, quiet way. He said, Mom, Dad, um, y'all helped me when I didn't have a home. Would it be okay with you if I help them who don't have a home? And my wife didn't give me a chance to answer. She went, (laughs) yes, yes. And she looked at me and she said, and your father's going to help you too. (laughs) The next Sunday morning, Casey came forward during the invitation. He said, dad, could could I give a word of testimony? Eight years of age. I said, sure, son. I handed him the wireless mic and my son said, I'd like to tell you what my daddy did at Burger King. No, that's not funny. (laughs) That's not funny. But when he gave the invitation, 30 adults came forward and said, Casey, we'll help you. Even if your dad won't, we'll help you. And that day, Casey's heart was born. Casey's heart is now an international outreach that ministers to more than 4,000 homeless families in Dallas, Texas. Supports three orphanages in South Africa and one orphanage and ministry in Haiti that houses 2,800 kids who lost their parents in the earthquake and feed more than 70,000 kids a day. And we get to be part of that, all because of a little boy who chose to see what his father chose to overlook. All from a little boy who the doctor said, don't expect much. I want you to understand, I'm here today as the executive director of my son's ministry, Casey's Heart. And by the way, we don't get to do this very often. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm honored to be able to introduce Casey Rogers. Casey, stand up, son. (laughs) He doesn't get to travel with me a lot, but when he knew I was coming back up here during bear season, he said, I'm going, I'm going bear hunting. Casey is also the little boy that got to blow up the old Dallas Cowboys football stadium, Texas Stadium. Out of 15,000 kids, he won the right for being the most impactful child on his community. He got to press the button to blow up Texas Stadium, and that was an incredible day. The next slide shows you the stadium coming down, my son pressing the button. Folks, God is still able to do abundantly and exceedingly above all you could think or ask. It doesn't stop there. My wife woke me up one Christmas uh, first Monday of of December in the year 2000 with a pencil-shaped object in my face and said, how accurate do you think these things are? I said, what things? She said, home pregnancy tests. I was wide awake, 5.30 a.m. on a Monday morning. I looked at it, had a dark pink stripe in one window and a light pink stripe in the other. And I said, honey, this is a false positive. We've been through this before. And she said, no, you idiot. The light pink stripe is just to see I got enough PP on the stick. She said, it's the dark one that tells us we're going to have a baby. And seven months later, because we were two months pregnant and didn't know it, this is what God did for us. He gave us Nathan Nicholas. Now, Nathan looks a lot like I did when I was his age. So, church, pray with us because he has seen his future. (laughs) 
But we continued to foster children. And as we fostered children, they brought us a little boy. His father was Hispanic. His mother was Anglo, which means he is just gorgeous. Literally, his hiney is darker in February than the back of my neck is in a Texas August. (laughs) Beautiful kid. And my wife came to me and she said, I think we need to adopt him. He was child number 20-something. And I said, honey, we've already got three boys. I felt like Fred McMurray with my three sons. Da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da. But she said, honey, we got all these hand-me-down clothes. He won't cost us a dime. She said, plus God told me that we need to adopt him. So we went into court, finalized the adoption of our fourth son. His name, Sean Anthony Rogers. Now, wait a minute. I throw the kid up that looks like me and nobody goes, ah. I throw up Sean and everybody's heart melts. But that's the truth. Because that is one of the most beautiful little kids and one of the sweetest kids I mean, yes, sir, no, sir, love you, daddy, hey, daddy, love you. I went to bed the other night just before I got on the plane to come up here. And when I got to my pillow, there was two Halloween pieces of candy and a handwritten scribbled note from Sean. And it said, Daddy, thank you for tonight. We had a great time. I didn't get one of those from any of my other kids. No, stingy toots ate all their own candy. But Sean thought of his daddy. But... In the process of adopting Sean, my wife woke me up one more time with a pencil-shaped object. Here's God's sense of humor. So now that we've got five children, all under the age of 18 until tomorrow, we had to stop adopting. We had to stop fostering because there is a limit. (laughs) Because even the government has at least half a brain. But ladies and gentlemen, our burden, our desire to help kids never went away. So now here's what we do. We travel the country looking for people that will say what we said many years ago. Simple three-letter word, Y-E-S. Let's spell it together. Y-E-S. Why? I'm looking for people that are yielded. People that are yielded. Yielding means to let another person have the right of way. You know, interesting to note, if you look at the screen, I have this sign in my office. It says, God places specific people in strategic places for significant purposes. Ladies and gentlemen, you're not here today by accident. You're here today by divine appointment and not just for you, but because there's children in your future that you don't even know about. Children that need you to say yes. God places specific people in strategic places for significant purposes because God wants to take you on a Star Trek journey. He wants to take you boldly where no men have gone before. Not to do what everyone else has been doing, but to go somewhere and do something impactful for eternity that you cannot do apart from Him. And it begins with saying yes. E-Y-E-S. I'm looking for encouragers. An encourager is like a coach. Someone who cheers others past their fears and their failures. I remember when Nathan, my son, who looks like me and now needs your prayers. Wanted to play baseball. He said, Dad, do you know anything about baseball? I said, I sure do, son. That's the body of an athlete right there. What you want to know? I've seen Tommy Lasorda on commercials. I know what a body looks like for an athlete. What you want to know, boy? He said, how do you play basketball, uh, baseball? I said, son, you pick up a stick, you stand behind a white bag, and when the pitcher throws the ball, you just swing the stick. That's all there is to it. He said, really? I said, yeah. I ain't never played baseball. My son got up, he'd strike out, he'd go sit down. He'd get up the next time, he'd go strike out, he'd sit down. About halfway through the season one day, and I would be in the stands cheering him on. He struck out, and he went back to the dugout, and he took his helmet off, and he threw it in the dirt. 
I jumped up off my bench and I ran over to the dugout and I got up to the fence and I said, boy, what's the matter with you? He said, Dad, he said, I can't do this. He said, every time I get up to go bat, the team starts saying, easy out, easy out. He said, and it's my team saying it. I said, son, that's just because they don't understand what a great swinger you are. Boy, you're a natural born swinger. I said, listen to me. I'll change that when he gets older. I said, listen to me. It is not your fault that that team doesn't have a pitcher good enough to hit your bat with his ball. I said, but one day there'll be a pitcher that will be that good. And the only way he can do that is if you keep putting your bat out there. Brother Jerry, a lot of Christians and churches today have failed along the way and quit swinging the bat. They come to church and sit on the bench. But because of a failure in the past, they don't want to get out there and swing the bat anymore. I want you to know there's uh, 17,000 kids in North Carolina that need you to get off the bench and need you to swing a bat today. I don't care how rusty you are. You're better than what they've had. And they need your love. They're not unlike this person who was dismissed from drama school with a note that read, you're wasting your time. And she's too shy to put her best foot forward. But somebody encouraged her, Lucille Ball. Not at all unlike these four boys who were turned down by the Decca Recording Company who said, we don't like their sound and guitar music is on its way out. But somebody encouraged those four boys. How about this one? Cut from his high school basketball team, he went home and locked himself in his room and cried. Somebody encouraged Mike, and he swung the bat again. Or this one, which has cost me a fortune. He was fired from a newspaper because he lacked imagination and had no original ideas. But somebody said, have you thought about drawing a mouse? And they encouraged him to keep going. His fiance died. He failed in business twice. He had a nervous breakdown and was defeated in eight elections. Somebody encouraged Abraham Lincoln. And he's made an indelible impact on our country. Ladies and gentlemen, children in foster care are no different than every success story I just shared with you, except this, they need you to encourage them to swing the bat. Yes, Y-E-S, and I'll be done, looking for a servant. A servant is somebody who meets the needs of others before themselves. A servant is somebody who gives a hand up to someone in need and meets the needs of others before themselves. And Galatians 5.13 tells us that we're to serve one another in love. I want to I share this with you. You had your life to live over again. What would you do differently? That question was asked of 50 people over the age of 95. And those 50 people over the age of 95 answered the question. And over and over and over, this answer came up. They said, if we had our life to live over again, we would do more things that would live on after we died. You know what they were really saying? They were really saying that they would live their life to leave a legacy. What are you doing that you can come to the end of the road and you can stand before Christ and say, Christ, I lived my life to make a difference after I'm gone. You can only do that if you invest in something that lives on the next generation. By the way, 
my son. No, that's okay. Go back. Go back one slide. I told you I'd tell you. Pick one. Any slide. Okay. Let's go there. I told you I'd tell you that the answer to the problem in North Carolina, that I'd give you that answer before I quit today. I didn't tell you that the answer is sitting in this church. Look at this statistic. If only 7% of people that attend church in North Carolina were willing to take in one child a year, then every child that will cry themselves to sleep tonight wondering if anybody cares will find the answer in a foster home, but not just a foster home, a Christian foster home. And there's a world of difference between a foster home and a Christian foster home. Real healing and real love comes from Christ. If only 3.5% took two children a year, if less than 2% took four children a year. Now, not all at once. Breathe. But four children throughout the year. Every child's prayer would be answered in the love and safety of a Christian home. And here's what Jesus says about it, I think. There it is. And whosoever shall receive one such little child in my name receives me. Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not for such is the kingdom of God. And my favorite verse is this one. Then shall the righteous answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you a hungered and feed thee? Or thirsty and give thee drink? When did we see you a stranger and take thee in? Or naked and clothe thee? When did we see you sick or in prison and come unto thee? And the king will answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you've done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Is there any person in this building that if Jesus Christ were making his way through McDowell County, Old Fort, Marion, or the surrounding area, Is there anybody here that would not open your home to him? He said, you've opened your home to him when you open your home to them. When you say yes to him, it means you've got to say yes to them. Close with this story, and then Brother Jerry, I'll turn the service back over to you, sir. My son, we had a uh, swimming pool when he was three years old. We had a swimming pool in our backyard in Texas, and and it had a, a ledge about like this podium that about three foot or so and a little waterfall coming out of it. My son had learned to swim, but he had never jumped off the ledge. And my wife was waiting in the pool with him and or waiting in the pool for him. And I was on the bank standing beside him, encouraging him to jump. His mom would catch him. She was waiting. And you could tell he wanted to, but he was very nervous. And so finally, with a little bit of encouragement of his own free will, he jumped right into her arms. She caught him and they went under the water and came up and I was on the bank, I was dancing. I looked so fine in my bathing suit and I was cheering him on. I expected an amen for that, but that's okay. And when he came up out of the water, I was saying, boy, what a great jump that was. That was an Olympic jump. And my wife was smiling ear to ear and she said, that was great, baby. And then my son said this. He said, mom, did I really do good? Yes. Son, you did great. Mom, did I do good enough to stay? What? And his little lip began to quiver and he said, Mom, you said I did good. Did I do good enough to stay? You see, he was three years old and we were a foster family. So his whole life, 
kids had come into our home and stayed with us for a while. We treated them like our own. We loved them. And then one day, out of the clear blue, be a knock at the front door and a caseworker would come and we would give that child to that caseworker and we'd give all the child's belongings, quite often in garbage sacks because that's the luggage of a foster child. Maybe a suitcase ministry would be a great ministry for Grace to have to let these kids know they're worth more than garbage. But that's a whole nother sermon. And we'd walk the child to the car and we'd watch the car drive down the street and around the corner and we'd wave and we'd never see the child again. My three-year-old son said, Mom, Dad, did I do good enough to get to stay? My wife said to him, Son, Nathan, have you been afraid someone was going to come take you away from us? He couldn't hold the tears back anymore and he began to cry. I jumped in the water and we made a love sandwich out of that kid and he said, yes, mommy, but I love you and I like daddy. <laughs> he said, mommy, please, please just let me stay. My wife, overcome with emotions, she said, oh, honey, you're our son. You can stay as long as you want to. And I said, no, he can't. I said, when he's 22 or 23, we'll, we'll reevaluate this discussion. But the Holy Spirit of God spoke to my heart. And the Holy Spirit of God said, Nathan is not unlike 17,809 children today in North Carolina that simply want one thing in life. They want to know that they can live in a home where they will be safe and loved and protected and ladies and gentlemen, the answer to their prayer is not a preacher from Texas. The answer to their prayer is a people called Grace Community. The answer is you. Today, I'm honored to have the Bear Foundation accompany me. The Bear Foundation is the nation's largest private Christian foster agency. And I want you to understand that they want to meet you. They want to talk to you. And if God has spoken to your heart today and said, you know, you've got that walk-in closet. You've got that room that you can fulfill my commission. You can be salt and light to a, church, uh, to a child that's hurting. I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you, I'm begging you. Would you meet us in the foyer between services? Would you stop and just let a beautiful young lady named Becca, Becca, stand up so they'll know and not be confused when I said beautiful. I don't want them all coming to me. But Becca will be back there. I'll be back there. My son Casey will be back there if you have questions about Casey's heart. But I want you to know, church, it's been my pleasure, privilege, and honor to be with you. But not for me.